Here's what's coming up on today's show. Nothing is certain in life except death and taxes and changes in taxes. Yes, tax law has changed once again with the passage of the retirement bill known as the SECURE Act 2.0. This new law provides many potential planning opportunities for retirees. So today, Mark and I will talk about some key changes that you need to know that may impact your retirement plan. It's easy to get lost on the way to retirement. Things like taxes, improper planning, and excessive market risk can all lead you astray from your goal of a successful and happy retirement. That's where Liz Whittaberry comes in. She's a holistic financial advisor and the founder of Best Path Advisors, and she can help guide you to a better financial path. This is Retire on Your Best Path with Liz Whittaberry. It's time once again for another edition of the podcast, Retire on Your Best Path with Liz Whittaberry and myself to talk investing, finance, and retirement. And as Liz teed up there, we are going to spend some time today on the passage of the SECURE Act 2.0, the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act. That's a mouthful. We're going to talk about that today on the podcast. Liz, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty good. Hope everybody had a good holiday and enjoyed themselves And because we are into the new year. And, you know, Liz, we were talking, we had plans to do a different podcast uh, for this first episode into the new yeah. year. But this, uh, you know, this passage changed all that. So we're going to have some uh, conversation around this today. Absolutely. And then we'll come back and, and talk about that other topic next time, which will be a market outlook for 2023. But, yeah. you know, this is really important because in my planning, I help people minimize taxes. So this is a really important topic uh, to me and and to my clients. So I think we want to get this information out there as soon as possible. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's jump into it here. Although I, I looked up real fast when you were uh, setting us up here uh, with the Ben Franklin quote, because that was the death and taxes thing was Ben Franklin, right? So yeah. uh, he said, I think it was the full quote says, our new constitution is now established. Everything seems promised it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Uh, and, you know, 200 plus years later, that still rings true. So <laughs> as you said, <laughs> yeah. let's, uh, you know, they, the only thing they constantly like to tinker with this stuff. And, and so they've done some interesting things in here. So I want to get your take on it and have you break it down for us a little bit. There's a ton a ton of stuff in here, so we're probably not going to be able to cover everything. So let's start with right. really the high-level, uh, impactful things that most of our listening audience would be. As I mentioned what the Secure Act stood for uh, earlier, the name of it, what is the Secure Act 2.0? Let's start there. Yeah, you, you had mentioned what the acronym stands for, right. Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act, and I don't know who comes up with these acronyms. I want that job. They had the CARES yeah. Act, and somebody's <laughs> got like, yeah, they're like the czar of uh, names, so, you yeah. They do a good job, but, you know, the original SECURE Act was also passed over the Christmas break. It was passed in December of 2019, and it brought a a very wide range of changes. It eliminated age limits for contributing to a traditional IRA, moved that RMD, required minimum distribution age, from 70 and a half to 72. Thankfully, they dropped the half because uh, that was just confusing. Uh, it caused the death of the stretch IRA. And that was a really big deal for everybody. And then it significantly limited the use of conduit trust to hold an inherited IRA. So a lot of trust planning, estate planning had to be changed. Three years later, and they passed this SECURE Act 2.0. And thankfully, it doesn't have some of those 
bigger impactful things that are as painful as the loss of the stretch IRA mm. or having to, you know, change your estate plan, but it's got a lot of smaller changes that are going to touch more people. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, really what we want to talk about. What are those things? Yeah, they tuck them in at the end of the closing of the year, right? They both yeah. were kind of uh, smuggled in, for lack of a better term. I think right. this one, it was in the omnibus thing, right? That that big old $1.7 trillion thing. So they kind of take, they tuck them in and and, uh, and then they're kind of like, oh, yeah. here, we made these changes and you have three days to figure it out and start moving from there. And of course, there's a lot of these things have different timelines when they're going to kick in. So let's brush up on some of that stuff. Uh, and of course, for folks, they don't have to necessarily panic. This doesn't change anything for them today, but it's good information for them to be aware of. And obviously for someone like yourself who's helping them uh, in that process, because and you and I were talking uh, again before the podcast that there's just a ton of stuff yeah. to cover. So let's go right. with some main categories. Give me a few um, that you think are going to be most critical for folks. Well, in this Secure Act 2.0, they've changed the, the required minimum distribution age again. They've pushed that out even further. We're living longer. We're getting to start those required minimum distributions later. They have increased our access to Roth accounts. And high-wage earners are going to be required to use the Roth option for their catch-up contribution. Mm. You know, Congress is really demonstrating they like the Roth with its, you have to pay the tax now to get the money in there. Sure, yeah. Yeah, and they're always very focused on this year, this cycle. Uh, so they're not thinking about that tax-free later, but that's good for, for people saving. They are increasing the catch-up contribution limits, and they're including a, uh, for the very first time, IRA catch-up contributions will be in indexed for inflation. That's just been a flat. It was originally $500 for a very long time, and then they doubled it to $1,000 for the IRA catch-up contribution, and now they're going to start indexing that for inflation. So that'll help people that mm. don't have a 401k option. And then they have added more access to retirement funds in times of need, like if someone has a terminal illness or uh, a, a public safety worker is retiring at age 50, your firefighters and your, they've expanded the definition of that. So, yeah. you know, all of those are good, good things. Yeah. And like, like anything, I think with a lot of our government bills, right, there's, there's stuff in there that, that has the, uh, we're doing this for you, but it's also for them because <laughs> they want the funds, right? right? Uh, to exactly. your point about the Roth accounts. So how exactly. are the RMDs changed? Because that is obviously a big one. Many times, you know, finance people getting close to retirement, retirees, pre-retirees are like, hey, I know we got to do these RMDs. I don't always need the money, right? So sometimes it's yeah. kind of a sticking point for folks. So how has that changed? What's that situation going to look like? Last year, the RMD age was 72. So anyone who turned 72 last year had right. to start their RMDs. This year, anyone who turned 72 is not going to have to because they have now changed it to 73. Mm -hmm. So everybody that's turning 72 this year gets one more year. So to clarify, so let me, I'm sorry, Liz, let me clarify. Yes. So turning 72 this year in 2023, you're yes. allowed to punt until next year, correct? Yeah. Okay. Get one more year. If you don't need it, you can leave it. If you're doing other planning, you can continue doing other planning. Gotcha. Um, They're not waving it across the board just for those folks that are turning 72 this year. That would well, have and then too. it'll be, yeah, then it'll be 70. So they've increased it to 73. And anybody that is not yet 72 on January, you know, December 31 of last year, they're mm -hmm. going to now have an age 73 all the way up to those people that are born in 1960 or later. 
those folks will actually have an RMD age of 75. Okay. Okay. Now that'll be 10 years from now when they would be turning 73. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you're born in 1960 or later, you wouldn't be 73 until 2033. So that's a full 10 years away. And the reason for that is they're always doing a 10 year budget reconciliation. So to move that another two years out to age 75, they can work that into their 10 year budget reconciliation by making Hmm. that be uh, for people that are born in 1960 or over. But what that means is if you're of that age, which I am and you are, that our required minimum distribution age will be age 75. The thing that this does for people in in moving the required minimum distribution age out, if they don't need to take the funds, if they don't need to live on those funds, then it gives another two years. There's a period of time when people retire and they're no longer earning their salary, they're no longer bringing in those wages, up until required minimum distribution age, when they have to start taking those required minimum distributions, that period of time in between is what we call the gap years. Mm-hmm. And that's a period of time that the tax rate typically drops to the lowest bracket for, for a lot of people. Even your, you know, your highest earners, they can pull money from already tax paid money you know they're not starting social security a lot of times until age 70 there's very little taxable income coming in and in that gap year period there's the opportunity to do some planning Mm, there's the opportunity to shift some money from your tax deferred accounts to your tax-free accounts to use uh, other strategies to get you know maybe do some tax gain harvesting in the 0% bracket and and reset some, you know, the tax basis for assets in some of the different accounts. So there's some benefit to having more time to do that planning. It gives us another, uh, another year for the people that are born before 1960 and another two years for anyone born after 1960, uh, that much more time in making some strategic changes to the portfolio in order to set them up to have less taxes in the future. Okay. So again, so the big, I guess the big takeaway is if you're born after 1960, your RMD age will be 75 and if yes. not, it's 73. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You were mentioning earlier how annoying that 70 and a half used to be. Uh, I noticed yeah. that the, they didn't move the QCD thing. Like it's still 70 and a half. It's like, it's so yes. funny how they, it's like, really, you couldn't have just made it even. <laughs> You could have just made right. it all match, but I guess in some ways, if you're if you're charitably charitable minded, I guess that's still nice, right? You still have you could do that a little sooner if you wanted to. That gives you some other planning options as well. It does, it does, and so that is definitely a benefit that they're not tying it to the required minimum distribution age. Mm-hmm. It was actually written in the code originally with the age stated, and a lot of times they'll reference another piece of the act so that when that piece changes it affects everything else that's linked to that but oh, okay. with the with the qualified charitable distribution they actually put put the age in at that time and they set it at what was uh, at that time the required minimum distribution age but they have fortunately not increased that age and that okay. does give people some additional room to do some uh, planning yeah. that 
you know, can be very, very beneficial. Yeah, especially, again, if you're charitably minded, right? So it gives you a right. way to start thinking about some if you don't want the or need the money. Um, so let's get into some more things here. So the high earner, uh, high wage earners that you mentioned will have to use this Roth option uh, in the catch-up phase. The catch-up phase, obviously, explain that for us. What is that catch-up contribution phase? Uh, who might this affect? And uh, what will that kind of impact on retirement strategizing? Yeah, you bet. So the the regular contribution to a 401k, and that that's what we're talking about here. The regular contribution is now going to be twenty two thousand five hundred. It's up from twenty thousand five hundred. And the for anybody that's age fifty and above, they have the ability to do a catch up contribution. And that is once they've maxed out that regular contribution, they can put in additional money. That's now going to be seven thousand five hundred. It's up from six thousand five hundred last year. That's thirty grand. Yeah, so they can get a, a good chunk of money into their four hundred one k or four hundred three b or four fifty seven or whatever uh, employer retirement plan that they have. Gotcha. Now the issue is going to be that starting next year in twenty twenty four, if someone is a high wage earner, meaning they make more than one hundred and forty five thousand of W two wages that person is required by the law to use the Roth option for their catch-up. Oh, okay. So that extra, let's say the extra 7500 you were just talking about, yeah. uh, that would have to go into a Roth account. That would have to go into the Roth option within the plan, ah. which means your plan has to have the Roth option as a part of it. So if your employer does not have that, you'll want to you know, petition for that to happen. Mm. Uh, and I think, I think they'll you know, obviously be adding that to the plans that don't have the Roth. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of plans do these days, but still not all. I still see plans that don't have that as, a, as an option. Okay. You know, but those Roth contributions are made with after-tax money. Right, because you're paying the you know, taxes so, going in, yeah. Yeah, so if, let's say Sally's been putting the full contribution amount and the full catch-up, and she's been putting all of that in her traditional tax-deferred option because she's been wanting to save taxes currently. Mm -hmm. If she is this high wage earner, then she's going to be forced to put the catch up into the Roth portion, which means that now becomes taxable to her. So this change could impact uh, the current taxes that people pay. Uh, it would increase her income taxes once she started putting her catch up into the Roth option mm -hmm. and anybody else that's in that situation. Now, I don't really see that as a bad thing. You know, I know that when Sally retires, she's going to want some tax diversification. She's going to want some money in a tax-free bucket, some money in the tax-deferred bucket, some money in the taxable bucket. And a lot of times people, you know, when they're working, they're not really thinking about what they're going to want after they're retired and how they're going to want that tax diversification. They're thinking, how can I save as much taxes as possible now? I want, you know, I'm earning this money. I want to pay as little in taxes as possible. Then when they retire, they, they often fall into this uh, situation where they, the only way to get money out of their accounts is to pay, you know, ordinary income taxes on it, which is the highest bracket. So this change will actually force people to do something that's good for them. That's good. In the long term. But it is going to be, you know, possibly a bit of a difference for some people. Now, another interesting thing on the catch-up contributions is that starting in 2025, there's going to be a bigger limit 
for anybody that's 60, 61, 62, and 63. Oh, okay. They're going to kick it up another notch. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why they didn't just go ahead and extend that to 65. or <laughs> right. I, I'm not quite sure why it's only those four years, huh. but it is. I think it should just be anyone 60 and above. Right. It, it's, it's that would make sense and make it easy, but since when do they do make do that, it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that is going to be a 10,000 catch-up contribution or 150% of the catch-up contribution in 2024, which would actually be a little bit more um, than 10,000. So it does give you the opportunity really to, you know, if you are behind, which many people feel like they are when they first go go sit down with a uh, professional like yourself, they, uh, most people come in saying, Hey, give it to me straight. I feel like I'm probably, you know, I'm not ready for retirement. So, and that's the whole point of catch-up contributions is to really sock more away. Yes. And people are at a point, even if they have enough saved, they're at a point where, you know, the kids are are likely grown, likely gone. College is likely paid. And they're looking at ways, ways to get money into a a good bucket for retirement. They have the ability to do it now. And they're running up against these limits and saying, well, what else can I do over and above this? So having this uh, extra room is going to be good. Now, those high wage earners, Mm they're still going to have to contribute those bigger amounts to their Roth. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that's just something that they'll have to be mindful of. But still, um, to get be able to get that much into a Roth, because I'm talking to a lot of people about how to get money moved over to the Roth. So this is a benefit, in my opinion. Nice. Okay. Uh, what else is in the act? So, I mean, obviously, there's always caveats, right? There's caveats for everything that they do, and there's little nuances here and there, which is why you should always check with your financial professional before you just you know take any action. But what's in there that might be kind of across the board for everybody? Well, something that I am very happy to see is the change in the penalty for required minimum distributions. Mm-hmm. The penalty for not taking your required minimum distribution on time when you should have is the biggest penalty that we have under the tax code. And it was 50% of your required minimum distribution. So if you were supposed to take out 10,000 for the year and you didn't take it out before December 31, you would have a $5,000 penalty. Now you could petition if there were, you know, good reasons that that got missed and you could ask for it to be waived. But now they have effective immediately, they've just reduced that to 25%. That's nice. Which is, which is, yeah, that's within, you know, a lot of people are in that 20 to 24% tax bracket. So, um, you know, that's, that's nice that it's a 25% penalty. It can be further reduced to 10% if it's fixed within a, a correction window. And the correction window is a little confusing to me. I haven't really dug into exactly the, the, how the timing is going to work in real life, but it starts when the tax is assessed. So that would be like your due date. And then it ends on the earliest of when they mail a notice of deficiency or they actually assess the tax or two years after the time it's imposed. So like two years after right. your filing date. So that'll be interesting to see how that works out. But if you turn around and get it fixed pretty quickly, like you realize, oh, I forgot to take an RMD from this other account, or, you know, I just turned my RMD age and and I forgot that I was supposed to start this, this gives people the ability to quickly fix it and it would just be a 10% penalty, which I, I like that. 
Yeah, we were chatting. Uh, I was chatting with another uh, person about this as well, and they were like, well, a lot of times they would waive that 50%. So it feels like yes. they kind of, this almost feels like a, hey, we're doing you a favor, but it's also at the same time another one of those kind of, uh, well, we're probably going to hit you with the 10% more often. So just get it done and get it right the first time, right? So. Yes, and and they will still waive it, but this makes certainly makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A lot uh, less paperwork on both sides. That's probably part of it, too. <laughs> a lot less paperwork. Uh, anything that really surprised you? There's been a couple already. Was there one kind of, wow, I'm surprised they did that? Yeah, the they put in a provision for 529 plans that I thought was a really pleasant surprise. Mm. Um, you know, when people are trying to, they've got kids, they're trying to plan for retirement, and they're trying to plan for their kids' college, and they're trying to, you know, balance that. There's always this, you know, trade-off. Where do I put my money first or second? Well, the act includes the ability to move money from a 529 plan. If that money is in the 529 plan, not needed for education, to move that to a Roth IRA. Yeah, that's great because it used to. It was just stuck, right? You put it in the 529, it had to go to education, but yeah, or you took it out and paid the taxes on it. Right. And and if there was a, you know, if if the child got a scholarship or you know the education was paid elsewhere there was no tax penalty on that if not then you might end up with a 10 percent tax penalty they do like those 10 percent tax penalties yeah um but in this case if you get to the point where your child did get a scholarship or or you didn't need to use all of the funds uh, you know whatever the case may be mm -hmm. if that 529 plan has been in place for 15 years or more you know, so it has a pretty long time period uh, that it has to be in place. You've been funding it for, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, it has to have been set up for 15 years. Gotcha. The funds can go from the 529 plan to a Roth IRA for that beneficiary. Now, you do have the ability to change beneficiaries on 529 plans. So we're waiting to see if that restarts the 15 years. We don't think so within the industry. We, we think that you'll be able to uh, change that beneficiary and and still make use of this uh, for whoever the new beneficiary is named, mm -hmm. which would mean that you could change it back to yourself as the parent and move it into your Roth. Oh, okay. So th I'm hopeful that that is uh, the true way that it's going to work. Now, the beneficiary does have to have compensation. Um, you know, the amount put in is limited to that year's IRA contribution limits. Uh, so if the max you could put into an IRA would be 7000 then that would be the max that you could put into, you know, transfer over, and it would count as part of that year's contribution. So they have to have earned income. They have to be working. Yeah, whoever yeah. the beneficiary, yeah, beneficiary. is. Okay, yes. gotcha. And the maximum amount that can be transferred to one beneficiary is 35000 But still, if you could take the money that's been put into a 529 plan and and has grown without any tax, it's grown tax deferred. And instead of pulling it out and pay taxes on those earnings, move that over to a Roth IRA. That's a nice benefit. And that surprised yeah. me. Um, and that does help people, I think, think about putting some more money into a 529 plan, uh, because they do have a little bit more options. What if we don't really need it for education? Well, there's some other options uh, for some of the money that would be left over. So one thing that I, I will start telling people to do is get that clock ticking. Mm, yeah. If yeah. you think you're going to be saving to a 529 plan and 
uh, you're not sure that you know once you once you've saved it up that it would all be used just get that clock ticking because at the end of 15 years that money can be transferred to a Roth IRA. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, start the clock yeah. now. So, start okay. the clock. All right, fantastic. So, yeah, definitely some interesting things in here. Now, as we said at the beginning, we're getting a little long here, so we're going to wrap it up, but there's so much stuff we just can't cover it all in, in one session. So, I'm sure we'll talk more about things as more information comes out and and uh, throughout the year. But is there anything else you'd like to add to kind of uh, wrap this up in a bow for this week? You know, from my perspective, one of the good things is the things that it did not include. And that is It didn't include the requirement for lump sum distributions from really big IRAs. So those that are over 10 million and over 20 million, those folks won't have to suddenly uh, distribute the excess. Mm. And it also didn't reduce any access to Roth accounts. In fact, it expanded it. And there's been some concern, you know, these Roth accounts are good for us. Are they going to limit our ability to get money into the Roth? Are they going to limit our ability to use the Roth? You know, is that going to become one of those frozen, you know, we used to be able to do it aspects. And they didn't do that. In fact, they expanded the ability to use Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks are actually mandating money uh, with the high wage earners to go into Roth. So that's good news because the Roth account is a very big benefit, a gift really from the government to us to have this tax-free money in retirement. Yeah, for sure. So definitely a lot of good stuff in there. And, and as you said, sometimes the, the extra things is what's not there. Uh, anything yeah. else? Yeah, I would say, you know, whenever tax law changes, there's always a lot to it. And so right. this is a time to get some expert advice to go back and look at your plan, make sure that everything is still set up the way that it should to work most efficiently and effectively for you in your unique situation. When I'm doing tax planning with my clients, when we strategically look at how we can make use of each and every year of tax planning opportunity, we can project that we're saving 25 to 30% or more over their lifetime. And that's huge. That's money that my clients get to keep. That's money that they get to spend on themselves and their children, as opposed to uh, paying taxes that they really didn't have to pay because they didn't do the planning. There you go. So it's yeah, it's all about being efficient, obviously, and that's why you know we talk about these things on the podcast. So as always, uh, a lot to unpack with the Secure Act 2.0. So if you have some questions and concerns, c- certainly talk with your financial advisor. Uh, reach out to Liz. You can find her online at bestpathadvisors.com. That's bestpathadvisors.com because you know Liz wants you to retire on your best path, which is the name of the podcast. And you can subscribe to us on whatever platform you like: Apple, Google, Spotify. Uh, you can type that in at the search box of any of those apps, uh, like again, like Apple, just type in retire on your best path, or you can find all the information at bestpathadvisors.com. Liz, thanks for hanging out. Uh, any final words before we go? I'd just like to say thank you for tuning in today because we're here to help you be on your best path. And we'll catch you next time here on the podcast with Liz Whittaberry, founder and financial advisor at Best Path Advisors. The preceding program is sponsored by Best Path Advisors, which is solely responsible for its content. Securities offered through J.W. Cole Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through J.W. Cole Advisors. Best Path Advisors, J.W. Cole Financial, and J.W. Cole Advisors are unaffiliated entities. The opinions expressed by Liz Whitberry should not be construed as specific tax, legal, or investment advice, nor as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. 
Neither JW Cole Financial nor its representatives provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Persons who provide such advice do so in a capacity other than as a registered representative of JW Cole. Investing is subject to risks, including the loss of principal. Due to volatility within the markets mentioned, opinions are subject to change without notice. Information is based on sources believed to be reliable, however, their accuracy or completeness cannot be guaranteed.